you can invest a tiny amount of money into an advocacy platform that is also evergreen. Your employees are more often than not connected not only to your clients, but also to your prospects. And because they're delivering thought leadership, industry news and company content, and not just product, 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 but they are mixing in some product conversation as well, you will have like oodles and oodles of touch points with these people throughout the course of the year that you don't have to pay for every single time they happen. Welcome to Uptech Report. This is our Applied Tech series. Uptech Report is sponsored by TerraLeap. Learn how to leverage the power of video at TerraLeap.io. Today, I'm joined by my guest, Jonathan Baldock, who's based in Toronto, Canada. He's the head of growth for social horsepower. Welcome, Jonathan. Good to have you on. Thank you, kind sir. Happy to be here. Now, social horsepower is an employee advocacy, social selling platform. This concept of Okay, let's get our employees to to kind of share the social goodness that the content pieces that our marketing team is creating. I'm curious, how long has this concept been around? Like since the inception of, of content marketing, would you say? Um, I think the my first understanding of it being around would be say about eight or nine years ago. Okay, and it just started I, to grow I, this concept. Hey, let's let's get our our team to help us promote. Yeah, yeah, exactly that because. The power of the employee's voice, uh, uh, my history, my background's at LinkedIn. And so the power of the employee's voice is twice as trusted as the company's. And so once that was kind of known, then companies were like, oh, we really need to get the voice of the employees happening. You, you just made a great point, Jonathan. You used to work at LinkedIn, actually okay. helping large brands use the platform further. What are some of the like, key insights you learned there are now kind of applying now and helping more other businesses uh, with that insight? Well, I think there's quite a few, you know, one is just knowing that the, the voice of your employees are, it, it's powerful. Um, there are a few, I think, best practices just around content that uh, were, I think, honed at LinkedIn. Uh, there was a, a sharing ratio that was really, really valuable, which was three, two, one, uh, which was for every six pieces of content, you want your employees to share three pieces of thought leadership, two pieces of industry, and one piece about your company. Rather than company, 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 product, 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 the employees feel like a shill. They kind of don't like it. But if thought leadership makes them feel smart, uh, industry news makes them you know, really look like they're knowledgeable. And then, of course, company content should make them feel proud. And if you have a good mix of that, then you have a good engagement from your employees. They want to participate and good engagement from their networks because they're not just getting hit by advertising. It sounds like there's, there's really two parts to if you want to engage your employees in, in your marketing, content marketing is one, you got to make them feel comfortable and good about wanting to share. Like if you're going to help them, that, that ratio matters. And then the other is the actual uh, efficacy, the, the actual power or, of it working, uh, that their networks actually see value in it and how it, the content is shared. Am I, am I understanding those two pieces correct? Yeah, I think that's that's it. And just to expand further on the employee side is that you want to make not only make the employees feel comfortable, but they should know what's in it for them. Like, what am I going to get out of it? And, you know, when I highlight those things, like, for example, um, you know, making me look smart, making me an industry leader, and then I also am sharing company content, that's making me more of a subject matter expert in my field. I'm looked upon as a leader, looked upon a little bit more as a thought leader. That makes me more marketable. So it does actually help my career if I'm looked upon by all of my peers as somebody that's an expert in my field. So without with doing little work. So that's sort of one chunk. And then the other piece is 
you need to make it as easy as possible for employees to do this because they've got so many different things to do. When I was at LinkedIn, I think we had 80 apps when you signed into your single sign-on, like we used Okta. And when you signed in, you had 80 apps to choose from. I only used five or six of them. So if you're going to add another one in and you've got to convince me to go ahead and spend time doing that, I'm going to need to be, you know, one motivated and two, it's got to be shockingly simple. How many companies are actually either asking and even getting their their employees to, to be part of their, their content marketing uh, uh, advocacy program? So uh, as a total percentage, I'd say it's relatively small. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where I think it's a little more mainstream now when I first started, uh, cause LinkedIn had an employee advocacy platform called elevate. And so when I started with that, to be honest, most of our conversations were, this is what employee advocacy is. And then towards the end, clients were like, which employee advocacy platform is the best one. So, you know, they'd kind of caught on that, that they should probably be looking at this and taking it seriously. But I think it's like with any technology or any business uh, practice that comes along, um, you have the people, the early adopters, small percentage. Then you have the mainstream, the bulk. I think that's where we're heading into now. We had all the early adopters. Now there's like general knowledge that like, this is valuable. This is important. And then you're going to have laggards that either never do it or finally eventually come around to it. But I think we're, we're sort of just starting to get into that bigger group of, you know, all kinds of companies having some general awareness of that there is value in doing this and that they're starting to take it a little more seriously. But, you know, to give you an exact percentage, I don't have a good answer other than I can tell you uh, LinkedIn had 500 companies uh, that were doing it and hundreds of thousands of customers. So it was a small percentage. So it's the concept that it's growing, and but it was mainly been early adopters, but we're potentially getting to the early majority. The reason why they companies haven't adopted or gotten their employees to say, yes, I'll share the company content is, is it just because it's clunky? It's like, uh, all right, I have to, it's another thing I have to add to my, to my list. I mean, who are, if I think about it, who's, who's the prime people? Is it, is it the sales folks in the team? Is it, is it everyone um, on a company, in a company? Yeah, I think it depends on what the company wants to do. So for example, if they want to generate social selling leads, then yeah, they definitely need their sales team on or anybody that's client facing. So leadership, support teams, you know, things like that. Um, if it's talent acquisition, then that could be anybody within the entire organization because their networks are going to be valuable to attract more people like them. Their networks are going to have a lot of people with similar backgrounds to themselves. And then of course the sales, as I referenced salespeople, but they have like, you know, they're, they're connected to their clients and they're connected to the prospects. So definitely worth sharing through them. And then there's the pure marketing play, which is just, you know, building top of the awareness, you know, sales funnel awareness. Um, and then that could be just about everybody. Uh, and then lastly, there's corporate communications, which would be all around brand reputation. And I think that is very much, you know, starts with the executive group, but then it really does tend to funnel down for the amplification of those messages through the broader audience. You don't know, as you mentioned, the percentage of how many companies are actually doing this, but as far as the, the percentage of the companies that are, how many they actually get the employees to say, yes, I'm willing. Do you, do you know that stat? Um, I can tell you from my experience. So if you have an, a, let's say your company has 10,000 employees, it'll be hard to get more than 5,000 of the 10,000 to sign up. Mm. So you should be able to get around 50%. If it's a smaller company, that percentage can go up. If you have 500,000 employees, 
you know, the eventual goal of maybe half, like 250,000 people is, is a pretty good one, but you can't do that in year one. That's going to take a few years because there's lots of communication. And right. then um, there's some learnings that, that happen when you implement these kinds of platforms. So uh, there's a lot of competitors in the space um, of all those competitors, they all have table stakes. So they all, you know, pull stories in and then they allow you to amplify and share those stories out. And that's, that's the basic table stakes. Um, another thing that I learned when I was at LinkedIn is that it's, let's say you have 2000 employees and you get a thousand of those to sign up. So there you got 50%. Then what percentage of those can you actually convince to log in on a regular basis and share content? And the answer is somewhere around 20%. 20 percent uh yeah they'll actually log in and, and and share. that's that's the that's the industry average there's some outliers on the high side like somewhere around 35 percent 40 percent uh you know sustainable meaning not like for one month or or we just implemented this and everyone's sharing you know this this starts to peter off after a while because employees get busy and they forget and also it's lifting on their part they have to do work um and then the uh other piece is some companies realize there's like some administrative lifting on their end to actually run and keep these programs going. And so they're investing man hours into, you know, you know, we're doing this and then they want to measure what are we getting out of it? So, you know, if we have a compelling way to measure it, which we do, and we have a, an, an easy way to manage it and an easy way for employees to share, you know, then you can drive those numbers up. Uh, um, when I left LinkedIn, if I wanted to stay and like work for any of the competitors, I probably could have, you know, easily done it. The reason why I invest my time at Social HP is they're a little different. They're, in my opinion, the first 2.0 of employee advocacy, which is an administrator could probably spend between 30 minutes and an hour and a half per month on this platform rather than a couple of hours a day. So they could literally manage this platform in, you know, a few minutes a day or 30 minutes a week, that kind of a thing, really, really easily. And then also our average customer usage is 80% versus 20%. 80% of the, of the employees actually. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And how, how do you get that higher percentage? That's because um, we built a, a really nice white glove, do it for me functionality, uh, which is, which is, which is there's that 20% that want to log in and do it and they're going to do it. But what do you do with the other 80%? Well, that 80%, if you ask them, Hey, you understand the value. You can see there's going to be value. Like there's going to be a benefit to you. Do you want to log in and pick content and write copy and you know do that? Most of them are going to go kind of not really, but it would be great if I could. Like, well, can someone do that for me? Because if someone will do it for me, then yeah, giddy up, let's do that. And so we built the do it for me functionality. So most employees just raise their hand and say, "This sounds good. I just don't want to really bog my day down away from work." to make myself try and look special, you know, and, and also help the company. So basically yeah, API connection to each of your employees uh, uh, account, the employees say, yes, you can have access to my account. You can post on my behalf, yep. just make it happen. Obviously there has to be the trust there of the employee to know that. It, it's about the communication. You're hundred percent right. So it, the, the company can't go, oh, and we're going to post once a week. And it's going to be this kind of stuff. And then the employee's like, you posted five times today. What's going on? Like, you can't do that. So if yeah. you set the right expectations and you deliver exactly on those expectations, it works beautifully. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's why there's that ratio where you say like, hey, for every six pieces of content, you know, we're going to share this ratio, right? So like thought leadership, industry news, company content. And then here's how often we're going to share. And then the admin can literally just go in, 
grab a story, put in multiple images, multiple copy options. So not everyone's sharing the same thing. That was my next question. Like, is everyone going to suddenly be seeing all the same content? No. From so you point? can you can provide like within 30 seconds, I can put in 25 options because the images and the copy can mix and match. So I could put in five copy options, five images. So there's 25 options. I put it across 50 people, only one in every 25 people will share the same thing. So now only two people out of 50 shared it. And then I can spread it over a period of time. So not everyone shares it at the same time, the same day. I could say, let's have everybody share between 7 a.m. and 11 a.m. between Monday and Friday, these 50 people. And then it'll randomize those shares. Plus it'll randomize their, their content. So it's not the same as me individually going in and like selecting a story and putting, you know, reading the entire article, then putting my spin on it. And I then become like a pretty decent copywriter. Um, and if I do all that, you're right, it's going to be better, but this is miles better than not doing anything. And it's almost like, it's not far off them actually just going ahead and doing it, especially if you've got a good copywriter, like and a good admin who knows how to like write some, like, you know, those headlines to make people to make it a little more clickable. It right. works really nicely. So it's like a couple, a couple of factors of success here, pieces of success as having a good admin that knows how to write those pieces, creating a lot of variations, having a good trust level with your with your team so they know, okay, this is what's going to happen. That's what you're actually going to do. And you have enough uh, varieties of the three, two, one model. So it's not all just your accounts just having to promote your company all the time and then your right. network gets annoyed. And th- this bring, brings me back though to one of your earlier points of why would employees want to do this? Yep. It actually can help me build their career because great. Now I'm doing content marketing without having to do it. And I'm providing value ideally because it's three things that are content pieces, industry news. Absolutely. And what we found when I was at LinkedIn was that when employees shared content, they would get way more profile views. They would get more, way more connection requests from clients, from prospects, from people in the industry that wanted to connect with them because they're visible now and they're, and they're you know promoting the company. And I have had clients tell me like, oh, well, we're afraid now all of our employees are going to get recruited. Well, if all of their connections are just recruiters, then yes, they'll probably get recruited. <laughs> but very, right. But very few people are like their entire network is filled with recruiters. And the other thing is, you know, if they're going to quit your company, they're going to quit your company, whether, you know, they're promoting content for your company or not, but why not get them to promote content for the industry, thought leadership and your company drive value. And then if they leave, you know, and you help them along the way, that helps their career. Maybe they'll come back, you know, Boomerang employees are becoming more uh, common these days. Now, for uh, the distribution side, LinkedIn obviously is the main channel big, as far as B2B side. Sure. For, for, we're using your employees, but are you the other social platforms you guys are engaged on? Yeah. So we also can share through Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And okay. then if uh, clients have offices in Germany, we also have Zing, which okay. is X-I-N-G. It's basically the LinkedIn in Germany. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. As far as what does success look like, is like for, for someone to be able to, to, to roll this out and to, to run a, a, a good uh, employee advocacy you know, program, if someone wants to build one of these, yeah. what does success look like? So it really depends on what their, what their goal is. Like if it's social selling, then usually it's about leads mm-hmm. and visibility and brand and adding followers and things. So there's a, a variety of metrics that we would look at for that. Whereas if it's talent acquisition, it would be more job applications. And we would see that they're connected to the employees. So we're driving more referrals because this does a really nice job of driving referrals and 
I think it's pretty common knowledge that referrals are way more successful and stay longer at any company than not. So that's why companies love them. So this really kind of puts that visibility into the top of the, uh, the referral funnel. Um, but so it's, it depends on what you're measuring. So success of the program from an administrative and management standpoint would be, you know, least amount of input, most amount of output, you know, so like, I don't have to spend my, you know, I don't have to spend my full-time job just like, you know, okay, Sarah, can you please share, share this? Oh, Michael, you know, uh, hey, such and so, can you please, you know, it's less of that and more just about selecting and, and choosing thoughtful stories and then putting them into the, into the mix. Um, and then when we talk about, you know, data points, we'll measure things like likes, comments, shares, reach, uh, total number of clicks. And then what we can do with companies is if they're doing paid campaigns, they can tell us, hey, this is what we pay average cost per click on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera. And then we take the dollar value of those engagements when they get them through the employee shares and we can add those dollar values up. So we can say, hey, like you earned $30,000 worth of earned media value. So it's like, you know, offsetting, you know, this, the spend. Clients can say, hey, look, not every single one of those engagements is our target audience. And then we can say, great, we can do an analysis of your employees' networks, figure out what percentage on average is the appropriate uh, audience, meaning like if you were to do a paid campaign, what percentage of your employees' connections would be in that paid campaign? And then we can just take that percentage of those engagements and say, then this is the value you would have as an exact or direct uh, um, offset against spend. So there's a couple of examples. I can go to a whole bunch more because you know, right. with my background at LinkedIn, like we can do things like, um, you know, oh, you want to hire these kinds of people? We can figure out which of your employees have the connections with those kinds of people, and then just get those employees to share that kind of content. Same thing with, you know, marketing. Same thing with sales, et cetera, et cetera. So a little bit of analysis goes a long way in being able to drive some really effective results. I feel like we're we're definitely have been in the age where. Um, personal connections matter more than just a, a company profile putting something out. Like nobody, sure. nobody pays attention or cares about your, your company LinkedIn or your, your company Twitter. It's the individuals. It's, it's either you follow the leader or you follow someone you know. Yep. Are you seeing that same, uh, uh, tr- that's not even really a trend. Do you, do you agree with that statement? And do you see that changing at all? Um, I do agree with that statement. I don't know how it's going to evolve because more people are getting involved in in having a voice for a company or a brand or a product. Mm -hmm. So who knows, depends on how well it's done, I think is really, you know, the net result of that. Uh, But that's totally true. Like it's the same, you know, for me, if like, if I'm on Instagram and I see Kim Kardashian says this yoga mat's great, I don't care. But if my yoga teacher says this yoga mat's great, Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, maybe I should buy that yoga mat because my actual yoga teacher is saying this is really good. I'm like, that it must be good. So the power of the micro or nano influencer is much, much more valuable than a like a, an enormously, you know, like someone that has millions of followers. Yes, they'll get paid lots of money to talk about something. And yes, it'll create some buzz. And that buzz is worth something. I'm not denying that. But if you want dollars and cents like in the bank, you need people that have the connections that are promoting the thing that you know, like if you, if you and I are friends and you're like, yeah, I just bought this pair of runners and I'm going to be doing some trekking and they were amazing this weekend. I'm like, oh, wow. I was like going to be doing that soon. Which ones did you get? I'll probably just go literally just go buy those. Like, like as long as they're not ugly, I'll just store those up. Just makes it simple. Like you've done all the research for me and you've, you've already product tested it. So if you say it's good, I'm, I'm like, yeah, it sounds good. Like he's, he's got it figured out. So, so that's compelling. It, that is idea of, of social 
selling it, it it's always been around. That's how we, we, we like to, to connect with those that are similar to us or in our network and say, I can trust you. Um, I, I feel like I can follow what you're saying. Um, the, the kind of future, uh, if you want to pontificate of, of what does it look like with employee advocacy and, and social, sh- social selling, yep. um, part of it, whether it's in your own roadmap at, at social uh, HP or just overall, anything come to mind of where you think it's headed? Sure. Um, I would say it's going to be uh, more closely aligned with tying into buyers and uh, tracking that process. So for example, right now, and, and not about getting involved in like, you know, people's private matters. It's not like, you know, oh, you're at the Starbucks. Great. Like, let's, you know, try and sell you this. It's not that. It's more about, um, um, so for example, like your employees share content. We want to know when your employees share stories and then their connections click, what companies are those people coming from that are clicking on your employees shares? And then when they go to your website, what pages are they clicking on on your website? And then how long are they spending? And then can we tell those employees, hey, some people that you're connected to from this company spent literally 10 minutes on our pricing page. Do you know anybody that you maybe want to book a call with? And then that employee is like, oh yeah, yeah, it's it's you know it's this person. Okay, great. Well, I think they spent ten minutes on our pricing page, so maybe you know you might want to reach out. So it's just a little bit closer to like intent, where mm-hmm. like when they're down at the bottom of the sales funnel and someone should be reaching out to connect with them, that we're able to prompt the appropriate people to be aware of those activities, so that that way we can see this uh, sales funnel. So we're trying to bring it down to the bottom, so that when you're in your CRM and you're you know, marking it closed one, if you're in Salesforce, that's their term. So when you mark it closed one, um, that you know, like what contributed, what are all the touch points that, that, that of the story that got them to there? You know, was it these three ads and these 17 employee touch points and this and this and this, so we can tell the story of how the deal was done. Because, you know, if, if I'm in the market for a car, I'm going to be buying one in six months. I'm not driving down the street, see a billboard for a Mercedes and go, ah! That's it. Buying a Mercedes, you know, but if Mercedes for six months is, you know, not only do I see the billboard, but also their employees are sharing really thoughtful stuff about the awards they're winning and the great community that they have and the technology they're using and how they're innovating. And, and all of a sudden I buy into the brand and I feel connected and I feel connected to the company and the people. And uh, I have this kinship with it. When I go, you know, to test drive something, probably I'm going to include that car. Like it's going to put them into the mix. And that's what you want. You want to be you want to be in the conversation when it's time to sell. Then your salespeople can do their job. I think a lot of the research in, uh, out there has been around the fact that it takes multiple touches, multiple yes. interactions for someone to say, "Wow, I like this brand." As you said, you're not going to see a billboard ad and say, "I'm going to you know buy this really expensive car." It's right. all the pieces, but tracking all of that for for mark, marketing tech for for a a, a marketing person to, to not know, easy. How do I know what's working? What's not? What do I? What should I invest more in? You are, are painting the picture, saying that you would even uh, employee advocacy could play a role, or you could even see um, someone from this company came to this page off of an employee advocacy program that you yep. did. So yep. that actually contributed two points out of the seven touches that led to a sale. Correct. Is that yep. in existence today, or is this something that that you guys yeah. are working? Yeah, July July first, uh, we launch. Uh, that functionality. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And yeah. is this something where the data is able to feed back into a CRM? Like, yep. Uh, yep. Yep. We can deliver it. Yeah. Oh, wow. HubSpot, 
uh, Salesforce, uh, Dynamics, Zapier, whatever it is you're using, we can get it because Zapier connects to everything. Right. Uh, and then on that note, um, just to make that, that point on the multiple touch points, unless you have buckets of cash and you have like, you just have like an endless supply to run an evergreen paid marketing campaign, evergreen meaning always on. So if you go to LinkedIn and go, hey, it looks like I've just got this huge unlimited bucket of cash. Can you just target these people relentlessly forever? And we'll just keep putting all these stories. Then yes, you will have all of as many touch points as you want with all the people that you care about. Uh, and it'll cost you unbelievable amounts of dollars. Or you can invest a tiny amount of money into an advocacy platform that is also evergreen. Your employees are more often than not connected, not only to your clients, but also to your prospects. And because they're delivering thought leadership, industry news, and company content, and not just product, 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 but they are mixing in some product conversation as well, you will have like oodles and oodles of touch points with these people throughout the course of the year that you don't have to pay for every single time they happen. You only pay once and the employees just share the content. And now you've got access to communicate, to tell your story. You don't have to rush. You can, you can stage it so that like, hey, for the first couple of months, we're going to talk about our culture. Then we're going to start talking about, you know, how we're innovating. Then we're going to start talking about our technology. And then eventually we're going to start talking about our products. And you bring people down that sales funnel so that when you start talking about the products and they're ready, you know, they're now at the point where they're starting to think about things that lines up really nicely. You might've had 30 touch points by the time you start talking about the products. When the salespeople start to engage with those clients, they're really warmed up. They're not warmed up like, oh, I've heard you guys sell this stuff. They're like, I know all about you guys. I know about you. I know about your CEO. Like I know about all your leaders. I know about what you do. I know that you're smart and that you know what's going on in the industry and I should trust you. Like it's all part of the story. And just to give you some quick uh, stats, if we take like a small company, so let's say they have 50 employees, the average small company that has 50 employees has somewhere in the neighborhood of 800 to 1000 followers. So if they do a company page update, 800 to 1,000 people will see that update. The average person on LinkedIn has 800 connections. So if you just get one employee to they share the same story, the you, are, you just doubled the reach of your company. If you get all 50 employees to share it, you reach 40,000 people. So that's 50 times the reach of what your company can do just by getting your employees to go, oh, do what? Yeah, okay, send. You know, or they, you know, as we have the do it for me functionality, literally the admin goes 40,000 people, bam. And then 40,000 people get it. What's the average size of a company that has 40,000 followers? They have 2,000 employees. So now a 50 person company can compete with a company that has 2,000 employees because their employees are sharing in this other company's employees aren't. Totally levels the playing field. Small companies can compete like big companies if they utilize technology properly. You mentioned earlier, if you had oodles and oodles of money, you could just run a, an ad series and get the same results. Totally. I just had a conversation recently at a, another marketing of a SaaS company, and they, they're like, everyone is now on digital and marketing and, and using the, the pay-per-click on, on LinkedIn and, and sure. Google and everything because we've had to go digital and no one has oodles of money. So it, it, I think it's a top of mind for a lot of folks of like, yeah, we do need to run some paid ads. Oh my gosh, wow, the costs have gone up. Right. Um, finding new ways to have that consistency in front of someone's face. There needs to be more options uh, or, or a better uh, a system. And, and 
and empl- using employees, I appreciate the the numbers because yeah. the numbers don't lie of what your own company may have versus what your access to your employees have. Um, Jonathan, you, you were mentioning something about share of voice at LinkedIn when you were there. W- what was that? Yeah. So the easy way to define it is if you pick a topic, like let's say artificial intelligence, LinkedIn can look at all the different conversations that are happening on the platform and then they add them all up. So let's say there's a million conversations about artificial intelligence. And then they'll come to you, your company, and they'll say, what percentage of those million conversations are you engaged in? Are your employees engaged in? Are you guys talking about? Are you advertising about? What percentage of those? And then they give you your share of voice. That percentage is your share of voice. So you could have 5% of those million conversations. You could have half a percent. And then they'll come to you and tell you how all of your competitors compare to you. So they'll stack rank you against all of your competitors. So one of your competitors could have 25% share of voice and you could have half a percent. And then, of course, it's a very compelling argument to say, maybe you should invest some more dollars to increase your share of voice in this particular topic because they're trying to gain more business. And this is something where advocacy can really affect your share of voice because if you've got the power of your employees and this is a topic like you may have 10 different business lines, but there's two you're really focusing on that you want to grow then you put out more content about artificial intelligence where your employees are sharing it, people are engaging and they're liking, commenting, clicking. Then all of a sudden you go from almost no share of voice to a leader and you're controlling the conversation through your employees' networks by delivering that thoughtful content and that thoughtful leadership. This concept of, of having a, a share, a percentage of, of a particular topic, I feel like there's a lot of companies that, especially that are open are trying to, to move into a new field and like, we want to not own, but we want to be super present in yep. the conversations that are happening. I feel like that's probably then a big deal for them to, to say, all right, we need to increase that share of voice. hundred percent. If they're embarking, like some companies have to pivot or they're like, okay, now we're going to get into this space. Well, they're just not known for that. But if their employees are engaging in the conversation and they're sharing out this content and they're having dialogues with everybody, then all of a sudden they're a part of the conversation. They go from nowhere to, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, that company, they're in, they're in AI. For sure they are because I constantly see stuff from them about AI and all their employees. And so it, it takes you from not being present to really filling out that, 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 uh, um, you know, that part of the conversation. And to boil it all the way down, even just to like a single person where they own their business. If I'm a plumber and I'm willing to drive 20 miles in any direction from my home in order to get business, how many online conversations are happening about plumbing in that 20-mile radius around my house? And what percentage of those involve me, Jonathan the plumber? That's my share of voice. So if I can occupy 80% of all the plumbing conversations around my house, I'm going to get a lot more business, and I don't have to drive too far to get it. So this is the same kind of concept, but you know, for big business on topics that are really important to them. On that note, for for large topics like this, does does geolocation when it comes to online conversations ever come into play or is it always just a a global piece? No, it absolutely comes into play. Yeah, because you may service a particular market. And so you can own that share of voice in that market by localizing and empowering the employees to share content that are there. You know, so if you've got certain services where you're trying to grow that, that market share and there's other places where you own it, you know, like you're. Now you're heading into Asia Pacific and you really don't have a big presence, but you do have employees, then you can start to get that voice out. So you'll become from you know, an unknown entity to a known entity just by doing that, localizing the conversation. And of course, localizing the content too. So that it, you know, it's not like we're talking about stuff that's happening in Texas 
in Singapore, no one in Singapore Singapore cares about what's happening in Texas. But if you if you you know have similar content and then localize it for the Singapore market and then have your Singapore employees talk about it, all of a sudden you go from no share of voicing in Singapore to maybe you know 30% or 10%, whatever it is, and that puts you into the conversation. A thought popped in my head. Do, do, are any companies, including in their, their advocacy program, um, contractors? It, it, obviously, employees make sense if you want to get your employees there. But I'm curious, is anybody, yep. does that make sense even to, to pull it, them in? It does, depending on the contractor. So um, it certainly does from hiring standpoint, if they're willing to share content for you. Because, for example, like technology people are really, really hard to hire. But all the contractors know piles of other technology people if that's what they do. So if you get them sharing brand and thought leadership and and um, EVP stuff about you know why it's great to work at this campus and the great benefits and the cool projects you're working on, they will attract people to apply for these full-time jobs that you're struggling to hire. So that's one note. The other thing is there are organizations where they have resellers or business partners that are acting on their behalf. So you can pull all of them in. So a great example would be like a company like um, either you know like an air conditioning manufacturer where you have a whole bunch of heating and air conditioning people all around the, the, you know, the country that are selling products for you, but you need your voice. You need that brand to go through all of those people. Well, they're more than willing because it's going to promote their business. They're more than willing. If they can get the content, they just, you know, they don't have time. They're driving a truck. They're running their business. So, you know, if you can control and deliver that content for them where they don't have to do any lifting and it helps to promote their business, helps to show they're a leader in the industry, that's a great way to do it. Same thing if you pick like uh, Benjamin Moore Paints, you know, they've got their corporate stores, but they also have hundreds, if not thousands of stores, maybe hundreds of thousands of stores that are selling their products. But if you can get those messages through those retail channels to those customers, then that, that brand is now top of mind. And it didn't cost you much to do it. So it's a great way to utilize either resellers, partners, or even advocates. Like if you're um, a not-for-profit or a um, uh, could be a school with alumni, or it could be a, um, an association, you might have 30,000 members in your association. They don't necessarily want to share all of your content, but if you can get some of them to share some of it, it's going to be pretty powerful. If you had to just then kind of close with a, a word of, of wisdom for someone who's running one of these or, or pondering, like who, who would be running, starting a, an employee advocacy program? I guess the head of marketing, it would be looking yeah, at someone. Usually, usually it'd be the marketing leaders. That'd be our number one, like engagement number, you know, for an audience perspective or sales leaders. Sometimes it's talent leaders and the communications folks, but marketing folks typically are the, are the number one group. If you had to, to, to give a, a quick, you know, get started three here, here's three things you think about if, if they've never actually implemented a, an employee advocacy program yet, mm-hmm. um, or they thought about it, or they tried something just didn't work. I mean, what would be the first kind of great way to get, get one of these started? Um, I mean, you, it depends. Like, I mean, if you have to get buy-in internally, then I think you need you need to be able to tell the story of, you know, why would you want to do this, right? So, you know, what's the what's in it for the company? What's in it for the employees? What's the why? And and then what are we, you know, what are the, going to be the results? And I think if, if you can tell that story reasonably compelling, um, then you can make a really strong case to be able to do it. Because the, the investment side is really, really small in comparison. 
The smallest campaign I ever ran at, uh, at LinkedIn was $10,000. It lasted a few weeks. Um, the, uh, you know, a, a small employee advocacy platform rollout is $4,500 for a year. So, it, so it's, it's dramatically so it's, different. It's comically, comically cheap, but you have to invest a bit of time into it, right? Like, you know, you buy your campaign, it's 10 grand, but you're not like, you know, managing it or, or investing time, which is why you need to have a platform where you can invest small amounts of time, but drive high amounts of, of value, right? Yeah. But you know, it's 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 really being able to tell the story. And so, for any clients or you know companies that are listening to this at any point in the future, and they want to have that conversation about how do I have that conversation internally? I'm well, well, you know, I'm more than willing to have that that talk with them, and and explain the differences, and and you know, getting into either detailed stats or all different ways that they can approach these kinds of things. But it really comes down to you know what are they trying to do, and how do they tell that story internally? I think is 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 the the compelling way to move forward. On that note, for that those that do want to learn more, I, you can head over to to socialhp.com. That, that's your guys' site. It looks like you're able to just book a demo, or you can just give Jonathan a call. I mean, just just reach out to him on LinkedIn. I'm sure you'll 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 take a connection requests. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for for sharing your your insight of kind of the, this this journey that the employee advocacy has been on, and and it's not going away. It's a good tactic it's a good medium for being able to get more touch points with your your market and actually help your employees sounds like build up their own uh um career even their their own profile so they yeah. it should help them not annoy them if done right yeah uh, uh, overused a lot but uh, building your professional brand uh although it is that is an overused term it is really appropriate in this particular case Awesome. Well, thanks again, Jonathan. And we'll see you all on the next episode of Uptech Report. Have you seen a company using AI, machine learning, or other technology to transform the way we live, work, and do business? Go to uptechreport.com and let us know.